What's up, everyone, and welcome to Beer Breakdown, where we dig into the stories behind some of our favorite LA beers with the brewers that brew them. And today, I'm joined by El Segundo Brewing Company partner, VP of Sales, Tom Kelly. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate appreciate you having me on. Yeah, definitely. El Segundo, you guys are just a special episode for me here because, um, you know, as I was coming back into LA, moving back from San Diego in 2012, I was kind of discovering the LA beer scene and what was out there and being kind of like a hoppy palate, discovered <laughs> you guys in those early days in the in the little tasting room in, in Oh yeah, the little tasting room they could, the little basement. The building, yeah, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a unique experience, but uh, such awesome beers. And it's just been so cool to see like the growth over time, just as the, yeah. the beer market has changed and you see kind of some of the other breweries that launched around the same time as you guys, like either staying small and staying really narrow or like going real big, doubling down, selling big pieces of their business and exploding in different ways. Like you guys have kind of rode this like middle ground where you're, I mean, steady growth. Like for you it's, guys, it's probably like insane at a lot of times. Uh, but That's it's fine, for it's sure. maintained a lot of that like kind of homegrown grassroots like identity that you seem to have launched with so it's just rad to see what you guys have been able to do yeah i appreciate that it's amazing to think back about 2012 and there's really there wasn't there really wasn't ipa being brewed in in la like not in any real substantial way i mean there wasn't that many breweries i think we were the sixth craft brewery in the in the county uh, when, when we opened in 2011 so and that was really you know you mentioned san diego that was that was rob's whole thing it was like i'm tired of driving to san diego to pick up <laughs> alpine and and get and get good hoppy beer locally it just you couldn't you know beyond the fact that we weren't brewers you really couldn't get anything that wasn't just like grocery store beer and so that was that was a lot of the impetus behind brewing, brewing hoppy beer at el segundo yeah yeah definitely it's it's just rad to see the, the the growth trajectory and we'll get into kind of where you guys have gone can you bring me back to at least maybe before we get into the story for anyone that doesn't know el segundo brewing company i think i if you're drinking craft beer in los angeles i hope that you already know but for anyone that doesn't who is el segundo brewing company like what are you guys all about yeah, well, I think you hit you hit it on the head. You know that we're staunchly independent. We and have been since the beginning. It started by Rob Croxel and his friends. He brought me on as an early equity partner to to do sales and 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 be his market guy. And and it really was a, a small band of people. If someone came to Rob and I right now and pitched the business plan that Rob started with, I don't know that we'd tell them to, to start the brewery right now. He started on a shoestring, you know, it was a real passion project. Rob was the aerospace guy in the finance guy who is extremely great at Excel. And that has certainly been a huge tool for us. But he was a home brewer for 10 plus years and he, would, he wanted to make the move. And he just swung, I think really right at that right time, right as the wave was breaking and, and LA figured out that beer was a, a thing that you could buy from you know your local pub and plus just a love of hoppy beer and getting after super fresh hoppy beer was the founding of el segundo and we really stuck to that principle of just like super fresh ip west coast ipas and we've dabbled with hazies and stuff but but really we've stuck stayed true to just beer that you know classic styles beer that tastes like beer it's really been our thing we were self-distributed uh, up until last year every el segundo beer you had anywhere in the five counties in southern california we 
delivered on our own, partnered with Craft Lane Craft San Diego last year and have seen some growth there, some more grocery push and stuff like that. So I think that was an important piece of the brand. The only other thing that I'll mention is we've got four kind of basic tenets that we, we always talk about, quality people, hops and freshness. Quality is the number one thing company-wide. It's, it's all about quality, quality ingredients and, and quality processes and quality products that get out to the to the consumer, but equally important are people. And we talk about our staff, but we also talk about our customers. It's, it's, it's very important to us that people are taken care of. And so we do a lot to make sure that there's a familial environment and that everyone feels included in our spaces and that we are taking care of our people as much as possible. And then hops and freshness, I think, go without saying. And we really took that to the max with our day one releases where we would package and, and ship uh, same day and got a lot of notoriety out of that as well. Yeah, from a self-distribution standpoint, it's, I mean, I guess you probably, the only way to really execute that is if you're controlling the entire distribution process, but still, it's like, yeah. wow, you really have to have things dialed in to execute on this day one. And for anyone that doesn't know day one, it's packaging early three, four, like super early in the morning. It, right? it was probably around three in the morning. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> on the trucks and to all the accounts by like, you know, late morning, you know, I, I would see it in Ventura the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Same day. We would do same day to Ventura. Santa Barbara sometimes, and then all the way down to San Diego as well. And I mean, I I don't know what we maxed out at account-wise. I think around 100 was the most we ever did. And we were delivering draft and bottles and stuff. I mean, it would be just a manic day, and all, all hands on deck. Everybody's doing deliveries, every vehicle that we can get our hands on. <laughs> shoving cases in and yeah that was it it was madness but it was a lot of fun and uh, we got we got pretty darn good at it that's awesome i mean it's super ambitious and i think any brewery with like someone on on the team that says hey we should do something day one like everyone would just laugh at them and be like what are you talking about like that's we're not going to do that and the fact that you guys did it but did it so many times over and over and still do it on occasion. It's just, it's super impressive. It's just really cool. Yeah, we, I don't know what the future of that is now with our, with Craft LA. I mean, obviously the pandemic is a whole nother. True. <laughs> a whole nother curveball, but with the distributor it makes it a little more challenging, but yeah. we've, we've, we've been talking about what we might be able to do in the, uh, as it comes up. So we'll see. Well, I'm not, I'm not calling day one dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> we've been doing, we've been doing, uh, what are we calling it? Day one direct something. We're doing it where you can, can, we're canning now. So we'll can on like Wednesday and we'll ship it on Thursday and it's at your door on Friday. Anywhere in the state of California for 20 bucks for the yeah. kids for shipping. That's, Just yeah. pretty sweet. That's rad. It's not day one, but it's, I mean, day <laughs> two and a half old beer, right? And you don't even have to leave. You just, comes to your door. The so. difference between the two is <laughs> negligible. I mean, it's you can't even tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the funny thing about IPA, and this is one of the reasons that we always get excited about it, it's like really cool to, to taste an IPA for the first like week or 10 days that it's out because it, they are so dynamic. I mean, they're still, they're all delicious, mm -hmm. but they, they're, because hops are so volatile, they, you can really notice changes if you drink the same beer like every like every other day or so for the first 10, 10 days in package or so. They're, they do change pretty drastically, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. This is super nerdy, but. <laughs> I'm into that. I'm into that. <laughs> so 
let's kind of rewind a little bit about you yourself and like kind of how you got started in the beer scene. Just kind of quickly take us through like your journey and how you yeah. got to El Segundo. Yeah, so I started my craft beer journey in Philadelphia, actually, at a place called Tria Cafe. It's a, a wine, beer, and cheese uh, cafe still still there and uh, they were the whole idea was that they would put equal emphasis on all three parts so i learned i already had known a lot about wine coming into that job and uh, this is my first real craft beer job uh, and uh, then they did beer and cheese so i learned so much about that they had a really great education program and it really got me excited about beer i ended up in the kitchen at that job for a while i got to cut cut the cheese for uh for a big cheese pairing that the owner john myro set up with garrett oliver brooklyn brewery uh, this is back in like 2004 and so i got to be part of that that event and it really just like i got so crazy excited about beer and all that it was and really you know at the time i had dropped out of college because this wasn't for me but i really dove into the food and beverage industry is something i always loved so really educated myself and then i left philadelphia traveled uh for a while and landed in sunny southern california kind of wayward not not knowing exactly what our plans were hoping to get in the restaurant game and didn't fall in love with the restaurant industry here at the time and uh, found Library Ale House down in Santa Monica and was living in Venice, bicycling to work and just fell in love with that. 29 taps of craft beer. It's like, it's probably 2006, 2005, yeah. six, something like that. Early. Yeah, and bartended there for a while uh, and got to really know the beer scene, travel around California, go down to San Diego, started visiting Pizza Port and the like back then. Ended up managing Library Ale House for a while, left, for a while, came back, and that's where Rob found me over at Library House when he was starting his brewery and needing something. So it was a perfect, I had just had a kid, was not interested in general managing a restaurant anymore, and I could see that beer was about to take off. I mean, being there at Library House and watching the very, you know, Eagle Rock and Strand starting to take off and just watching the market start to get excited and knowing that I'd been to San Francisco and San Diego and being like, how are there these vibrant, beautiful beer scenes that are 15 years old in in both other major cities that are here and there's nothing in los angeles it didn't make any sense and so uh was super stoked when the opportunity came along with rob and yeah i mean it was just, just been an awesome ride from there really with El that Segundo. was what like 2010-ish or i think i met rob in 2010 first beers were brewed in 2011 May 2011, we delivered beers via hand truck to Rock and Brews. I believe was a, the first uh, nice. was the first case <laughs> uh, before it was that big giant red barn that it is now. It was a little tiny place. El Segundo was a much sleepier town. Wow. Uh, nine, years, nine years ago for sure and I think we've been a big part of that change as well but yeah 2011. Yeah what a cool opportunity to come your way. It's important to note like that it's not just oh you're the manager of a beer bar so the guy who's starting the brewery like wants you to be a part of it like you had years and years of like you were talking about the early days of the beer and cheese pairing thing what really yep. what i'm getting to is your email and your instagram is cicerone tom so <laughs> so that that's i mean that's like a part of your story whether it's before you got the certification or not like it was a study sure. in the art of beer for you and i know that there's 
you know, there's there's dialogue in like the beer industry of, do you need this? Do you not need this? How important is it? I mean, I think there, what we've come to realize is that there's no one path that you should take to get into the beer industry, but like going into it from an educational, like scholarly, like almost like clinical aspect, I think is, is I, there's, there's tons of benefits for that. So can yeah. you talk about the Cicerone program and how it kind of played a role in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm actually surprised I left out Cicerone. I, I absolutely adore the Cicerone program. I was one of the first 10 in LA for like, that was 2011, 12, 2011 or 12 that I got certified and certainly had to do some study. But as you said, like I had already been studying for seven or eight years at that point. So I knew most of the stuff that I needed to know. There's certainly holes. And as I look back now, I'm like, that kid didn't know anything, but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's great to have a central place where we have an educational tool. And I look for certified beer server all the time. Like if somebody walks in and is applying for a job and they've already got certified beer server, one like really really like to see that. I think it is the baseline of. Like, you know, the idea behind Certified Beer Server is if you touch the beer along its path from brewery to glass, you know, glass in hand of a customer, you should be able to pass Certified Beer Server. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not anything, any great leap. But I think having something like Sommelier really hopes to elevate beer to, to that kind of level. I've always kind of said, like, I don't think beer should be as stuffy as wine. And I think that's the number one reason I like beer more than wine, at least culture-wise. I mean, I really love wine also, but beer, I just love the whole culture surrounding beer, you know, here and, and elsewhere as well, because it's it's more the, the, the beverage of the people, where wine is more the beverage of the aristocrats, which is kind of silly, because it's just grape juice, really, at the end of the day. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I actually took my advanced Cicerone exam, which I did not pass. That was now over three years ago. Uh, regrettably, which means I have to go back and take the whole thing again because I did pass my I passed my written exam but failed my sensory, not by much, but I did fail. <laughs> Thorn to my side, but um, I I got to study with Greg Bechtel, who recently I think just moved over to Smog City actually. Yeah, he uh, but he was with us for some time. Was working with Sims Group for a couple of years and. He is a brilliant mind as well. And we got to study for advanced Cicerone together. I think over the course of six months, we read 22 beer books and we would go back and forth and taste together and put that whole culture and really develop this culture of, of studying together. And it, it made me a better beer professional, it made me understand more, it made me a better taster. And I think that's really the, the end goal is palate development because without that, there's you know it, you need to you need to be able to taste and talk about what you're tasting and uh, and then go and refine from there. And so I found that that their program and having that accountability of the test coming really makes you go after it. You know, and some people maybe they don't have to. And you know, I know that I see a lot of the Cicerone memes that the beer groups throw around, trash and Cicerones, and I'm like. You fools know what you're talking about, man. Like, yeah. Come, let's have let's have a beer trivia game. Actually, it reminds me of somebody. Someone gave me a beer trivia game years ago, and I was like, <laughs> I can't play this game with you. Like, I can't play this game with anyone. <laughs> <laughs>
Like, this is a funny gift, but like, <laughs> yeah, not gonna happen. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I couldn't I couldn't love Cicerone more. I taught for them for about two years. I was doing their beer savvy class and their off flavor class. Really loved doing it. I stopped doing it kind of when Broken Skull exploded last year and, and took over. I just I had to something had to give and and that was it. So, yeah. but um. I, I always speak highly of them. I push everybody as I, that I can there because I think they've got a lot of great resources for people to educate. And, and at the end of the day, I think smarter professionals and smarter consumers is only gonna make great things for the beer industry. Right, yeah, totally agree. I think that kind of has always set you apart in my mind in terms of El Segundo and, and what you guys do, not just oh, he's got the certification, so the beer's better, but just that it's coming from a place of experience a little bit more. And so it sets the context from, at least from like an outward consumer perspective. For me, looking at things in like 2015, it was like, yeah. there was a context there that I think was lacking for most other breweries that didn't have that and didn't market that. It's awesome to hear, you know, it's definitely the way we tried to pitch it and say like, look, this is important. You know what I mean? Like, look, brewers are great. Chefs are great. They're awesome. But somebody's got to translate it to the consumer. Yeah. And someone's got to keep them in check. You know what I mean? Like the brewers are like, we're going to make this awesome Imperial Stout and dry hop it with Sabro. And I'm like, sweet. Don't make a lot of it because <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. It was a great beer. Don't get me wrong. But like, some things aren't that marketable and just people are like i don't know what that's about you know what i mean whereas you can take the nerd and and, and translate it to the market it makes it better when you have a salesperson or a sales force that really understands the product mm -hmm. it gives you so much more strength to rely upon and be like this is why this thing is cool and then that salesperson can then go and translate that to a buyer or or a consumer and they're like oh i see why this is you know this is i see what you're doing there you know, some people say, oh, all, you know, IPAs all taste the same to me. And I'm like, really? How? <laughs> Can't you see this and this and this and this? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the fun part. And I, I think what's really interesting for me in knowing that you have the background of a Cicerone, when the slice and pint, your guys's pizza, restaurant, beer bar operation yep. just down the street from the brewery, I knew it was in the works. And then I follow you on Instagram and things like that. And all of a sudden I see pizza all over the place. And it's like, it's almost like you approached pizza like you did studying for Cicerone. Like you were breaking down different styles of pizza, different types of yeast, different ways that people were using cheese and sauce. And it was like, I've never seen anything like that. So it wasn't like, you're like, let's open a pizza place. Let me hire a chef. You were like, let me get in and figure out like, what are we going to do here that's different and make it amazing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's how I approach everything and I always have, you know, I mean, I was in the restaurant industry for a long time and I love to cook, but I'm a personal person. I'm a good salesperson. I'm good. I'm good at talking to people. And so you make a lot more money being a server than you do being a cook. And, so I was always in front of house, but I would work for free in the kitchen to get to know the product so that I was immersed in it. Mm -hmm. So when someone asked me a question, it wasn't like, oh, let me fight. I know the answer. I know the answer because I was the guy who just did it. You know what I mean? And so the same with the pizza for sure. I, I mean, I love pizza. I come from Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. Like my dad, you know, we made pizza growing up all the time. And, uh, and so the chance 
should be like, oh, here, you can like study pizza for your job. Like who doesn't want to do that? Like that sounds great. When the photos started is when I went to Detroit, I think for the first time. I went to New York as well and, and did a pizza tour there, but uh, Jolly Pumpkin invited us for a festival and I was like, that's like close to Detroit, right? I want to go eat Detroit pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no one could come with me. I forget what's going on. I think we had like several several other out-of-state events and people were traveling. And so I was at all solo in Detroit and I ate pizza, and pizza straight for two days. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. You did not <laughs> <with> your body. <laughs> Anything for research, right? Anything for research. And the Belle Isle, uh, which is one of the pizzas at the Slice, came out of that trip from a pizza place that's right next to Belle Isle, called Belle Isle Pizza or something like that, with mushrooms and white sauce and, and arugula and lemon zest. It's fabulous. It was so cool. We, we were fortunate enough to have a decent budget and able to hire a chef that didn't know pizza, but very talented guy, Chef Matt Ranney. And we worked with Slow Rise Pizza, uh, which is uh, a Noel Bronner who's worked with people all over LA. He's super awesome. I know Noel for a long time. And so to get all those minds together, plus Pete, our GM and Rob, and be able to like really break it down and go through round and round of dough trials and say, this is what we want to do. And this is what we want to do. And this is what we want to do. And, and just eat pizza for hours is, uh, it was a cool operation for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, like I said, it's just, it's so easy, especially when you have a full-time job selling beer, making sure that beer's getting into the hands of the consumers in a fresh way. You were probably hands-on on the tap room operation in, in some way as well. That like, yep. all right, now I'm going to carve out a big piece of my time and I'm not just gonna like hire someone and just taste their pizza and give them notes. Like I'm gonna dig in too. Yeah, everyone's like, okay, the hard work of beating pizza. But honestly, it, I saw that and it, it kind of made me think like, this is a Cicerone approaching pizza in a way that he breaks down beer. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, something you mentioned earlier, and I think it has to be a part of, of any kind of like backstory before we get into the beer we're drinking, Broken Skull. So that's been yeah. such a big part of El Segundo's story over the past couple of years. So um, yeah. just kind of like briefly take me through like, what is that beer and the collaboration and where did it go and where is it now? So I mean, Broken Skull, you know, it's a saga because that beer, I think we first brewed it in 2015, 2014, 15. And, you know, we were a tiny little brewery. Like when mm -hmm. Steve first came, it was a friend of a friend introduction kind of thing. We learned that Steve Austin really liked our beer and was interested in brewing with us. And would we be interested? And we're like, hell yeah. You know, like that sounds like, I think at first we were all like, is that the and we're like but this is cool like he's and he was he came down to drink with us and uh and tell us about the project and what he was thinking about and we tasted about like 10 ipas and the way he talked about ipa we're like this guy knows his stuff man like he doesn't he, he didn't have all the words but like you could tell like oh he, he he's looking at the right things he's talking the right way he knows exactly what he wants and so we really tailored the the recipe to steve's what Steve wanted in an IPA. So when he says it's the best damn IPA in America, he genuinely believes that because we literally made it for Steve. Like, <laughs> he's right. like, I like this one, but not this. I like this one, but not this. I like this one, but not this. I'm like, okay, we can put that all together. And um, I guess for anyone that hasn't followed along this point, it's uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the wrestling character, and, and yes. really kind yeah, of legendary right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's huge. I mean, he's huge. He's got 16 million followers across huge, three, yeah. the three social media platforms. He's super engaged. And anytime you see, it's not like, 
some social media manager that's doing it, like it's Steve. Steve does it. You know, he's the one tweeting. He's the one doing all of it, all the comments and all that. It's it's Steve, which is cool. There's a real genuine piece of that, and he. Loves the beer, loves the pizza. He still comes down all the time, like grabs grabs beer, grabs pizza. He's got a ranch in Nevada that he's at pretty often nowadays. So, but when he's in LA, he's, he's coming by all the time. Anyway, we released it that back in 2014 in the 22 ounce bombers. We weren't capable of putting it in cans mm -hmm. and we didn't really have the capacity to, to ever meet the demand was out there. So, you know, we, we said from the get go with Steve, we're like, bro, like, you should be talking to like a nationally distributed brand, not us. Like we're a self-distributed brand in Southern <laughs> California. We got like, we just never would be even close. And so it had its time in the spotlight and, and like everything in the beer industry, there's a limited amount of time that things are super exciting and hot and it kind of faded like most of us. It, it lasted a little longer than, than a normal release. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was still demand everywhere, but we weren't shipping it out of California, so uh, it had a limited shelf life. And we were still brewing it all the time, uh, say beginning of 2019, but limited amount. And bombers obviously fell off the face of the earth, and right. no one, you know, it was harder and harder to sell anything in a bomber. And so we had kind of started to lay plans to, to move it to cans, as was the natural thing. And we were we knew we were going to be moving to a distributor and we we're like okay now is the time and then last july 2019 he got on monday night raw and sent us a note saying that he needed like a couple cases of cans and so we got him a couple cases i think we like went down to lal works and hand canned a bunch of broken skull to send him or something because <laughs> we didn't have a canning line at the time right. and the world exploded on broken skull i mean it's i was actually in the south pacific father-in-law lives in american samoa and i was there and i checked my email when i got back from being out of service and they're like I, I was like what happened like they're like we're we're filling all the tanks with broken skull and i was like what what <laughs> And anyway, they did, and we started, a, we sent a few pallets, started with what we thought was gonna be a few pallets to New York, and ended up being two truckloads. And it just hasn't slowed down. I mean, it's it's been an absolute monster since then. We missed a bit of an opportunity on 316, unfortunately. He was, uh, 316 was slated to be a huge Monday Night Raw, That's based, right. uh, based around Steve. We were gonna have a huge national commercial push. This whole, I mean, like Broken Skull was gonna be, like they were gonna have several segments with the can on, on the show and everything. And that was two days before the stay at home order in California or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it threw a wrench in it, but there's still a lot of velocity. People are still super stoked about it. And it's still it's still getting out and about. The beer itself is Citra Cascade Chinook. It's it's fastball down the middle honestly and we, we love that beer it's 6.7 percent semi-low bitterness so it doesn't it's i always tell people it's like pretty approachable ipa for those cats out there that just don't never mess with ipa which yeah i think i think steve breaks down that wall a lot of times you know sure. but he obviously was known for his light lager loving days and I think a lot of his fans are, are probably like lager drinkers, but we definitely get some people being like, whoa, what is that? It's way better. But then a lot of his fans are like, this is, you know, the light bulb goes off in their in their brain. Like, whoa, beer can be this flavorful and this awesome. And so 
we're seeing some great longevity with it out there in the market as well. I think Steve's fans are very loyal, so they're out there buying the beer pretty consistently. Yes, that beer's in what, like 15 states now, something like that? 10? Yeah, something like 15. We're West Coast, we've got California, Oregon, Arizona, soon to be Nevada. And then East Coast is the whole Eastern Seaboard plus Ohio, just out of Pennsylvania, Kentucky, sorry, not far. So like Maine to DC, basically, and then Wisconsin, yeah. Kentucky, Ohio, I don't know, 15-ish. Maybe yeah. more. We're getting around. We're brewing the East Coast beer out of New Realm, which is Mitch Steele of Stone fame. His project, which started in Atlanta, but they bought the Green Flash facility in Virginia. And right. so we saw Mitch in Yakima last year for hop selection and he was like, hey, do you guys need some help brewing that beer? That was, <laughs> we all sat down at the have a beer afterwards after we left Mitch and his crew and I was like, you guys all heard Mitch Steele ask if he, we needed him to brew Broken Skull, right? Like I'm not, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to ask him. <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't like dreaming or something. <laughs> That is great. <laughs> uh, I have a weekly Zoom call with Mitch Steele now that every time I'm like, this is so funny. Like I that's just awesome. have a casual conversation with Mitch. That's so um, cool. But that's it's done very well over there and couldn't have it in better hands. So that's cool. That's awesome. What, what's the future with that? Is it just kind of like slowly continuing to open up new markets and try and keep up with demand or? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 it right now. Obviously, you know, my, my year was very changed. Yeah. I had planned to be, oh, Texas too, we're in Texas, I forgot to right, mention. Right, that's right. Um, which has been huge and awesome and they've been great to us so far. It's a tough state to deal with legality wise and stuff, but. Yeah, you sent a uh, rep out there, right? Sort of, Amanda, Amanda Thiel, who was our taproom manager for a long time she moved to austin right at the beginning of all this right. and so the plan was to kind of train her up but now there's not really yeah. a lot you True. can't like be going around to accounts exactly so i mean we're not even doing that in southern california you know right. my sales reps are all just staying home right. but uh, i mean right now it's just feed demand again. There was a weird low that I wasn't hoping to experience. I had hoped to be in the markets, meeting distributors. I was supposed to be in Jersey the week of the stay at home order, which I obviously didn't take that trip gladly. And so it's now hard for me to say like what's going on, but the orders are coming in and people are excited, you know, the distributors are excited and looks like we have shelf velocity. So that's great. And now it's gonna be about figuring out where we continue to fit and how we get kind of the rest of our line to come along with it and what other beers we want to kind of fill out the shelves and what the plan is to stay long-term. You know, I, I, we didn't really get into it with a long-term plan. It was like the people want broken skull. So let's figure out how to get them broken skull. Yeah. And uh, we're getting it there. We're getting yeah. it to people. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome to see that. And I'm sure it's uh, been insane on the back end for you guys. It's exciting. Yeah. It's just, we got a small team doing it. It's been a fun ride for sure. Nice. So yeah, speaking of the lineup and the rest of the beers, let's kind of transition over into the beer that we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, so what we have here is the 105 IPA. And Tom, why don't you tell me a little bit about this beer? Yeah, so 105, we've been brewing for I think like four years. And it's part of our rotational IPA series that we've 
been doing forever. You know, we got our, our full-time lineup that Citra Mayberry Hammerland that we have all the time, but we've always got a, a new IPA out, something that's coming every month or two. 105 was, has always been an Idaho 7 beer. And so that was a, a fun hop that we started playing around with. And it is 100% bursted. There's no early kettle additions mm. in this beer. Especially at the time was a bit of a departure for us. Early on, our beers were bittered and then like a small Whirlpool edition, but it was really about uh, really heavy dry hopping, which is like Citra and, and Mayberry. That's really how those beers were made. It, you know, those recipes have changed over the years, but that was really the way we did things. And but that being said, we were never super bitter. You know, we never we never were like doing the like Green Flash West Coast IPA like crazy super sharp astringent bitterness you know i had a few brewers at the times being like your beers just aren't you don't have enough bitterness and i'm like ah, i don't know i think they're fine you know <laughs> and, and now it's like bitterness is evil you know yeah. <laughs> what's bitterness yeah <laughs> which i don't believe at all but but yeah so it's 100 percent bursted meaning we don't add hops until the five minute edition so five minutes left in the boil so you're not going to get a lot of isomerization. And what we found with that technique is over with it, you get like a softer bitterness rather than it being so sharp and quick. It's a little more rounded. There's still a lot of IBUs there, but it doesn't quite come across the same way. Maybe not as aspirin-y, pilly as, as bitterness can sometimes be. And so this was the first beer that we really started exploring that in a big way. And I think it works great. It gives it a fuller flavor for sure. A lot more hop on the palate than dry hopping alone will do. We're still, we still dry hop this beer. You still dry hop it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's still, still dry hopped. You need, you really need that. E even the, even the heat from the whirlpool will diminish your aromatic enough that you need to, if you, if you want something that's gonna pop out of the glass, you got, you got to dry hop. I mean, you're bursting with Idaho Seven. I'm assuming mm -hmm. some of the dry hop might be Idaho Seven too. But there's like citrus, or yep. there's mosaic and mm -hmm. something else, right? It's uh, Cascade is in almost Cascade. every single one of our beers, honestly. It. Like, it's just like a baseline, like, okay, we're brewing IPA, put Cascade in it. I don't think it's 100% true, but like we use a lot of Cascade. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the, the Whirlpool is Cascade, Mosaic, Idaho at five minutes to the tune of, he's got the poundage here, two ounces, three to eight ounces, half pound, half pound per barrel in the five minute, another half pound per barrel in the Whirlpool. So for like kettle additions, it's fair, fairly heavy. You know, I I honestly don't know what some of these hazy guys do. I know there's some like crazy huge additions uh, on, on the late side, but yeah. Um, but even like you think about it, like this beer is fairly bitter, you know, for not having any 60 minute addition, which is where you're generally gonna get all your, your bitterness. This is pretty bitter. In fact, we make another beer called Cerveza Fresca, which is a, kind of one of our takes on making a hazy IPA without using English yeast or hazy yeast or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we found we have to knock the temperature of the Whirlpool down to like 170 degrees before we put hops in because we're still getting too much bitterness. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see how much isomerization of the hops of the, or of the alpha acids that we actually get just in the Whirlpool. And then dry hop is Idaho, Mosaic, Cascade, but three to one Idaho. So it's, yeah. Idaho has always been like berries, a little bit of tropical, but like resinous and piney kind of kind of thing for me. So mosaic is a good companion, good companion hop for sure, because it has similar flavors. I feel like helps help support it and give it a little bit more of a tropical edge. 
This one I was getting like passion fruit out of when I was just smelling it. This is actually the first, I didn't get to, I was hoping to taste it yesterday, but being in Ventura, that's the biggest disadvantage is I don't get these beers very quick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was getting like a passion fruit, berry, and then like this like pina colada almost kind of finish to the beer, which I thought was pretty, it's a cool one. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to crack it open in just a sec and, and kind of taste through it with you, break it down. Awesome. But before we do, in terms of the recipe itself, it kind of sounds like you guys from a recipe standpoint, like it's not, here's the beer, here's the recipe, and it has to stay the same. And if we change it, it changes to a different beer. Like, it sounds like you guys have a mindset of evolution and, and sure. change, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know. Like this I, recipe has changed over time, probably. Yeah, it has. It used to have a darker malt in it. I believe the first time we brewed it, it has a darker malt. People like revolt if you have dark malt in your West Coast IPA in right. in Southern California. And, but we like to play around with it once in a while. We had our Blue House IPA and we like using Red X here and there and give it a little bit more meat to the beer. But so I think it original, the original recipe had a little bit of, the, of a darker malt. I don't remember which. Um, yeah. But I do like a little bit of darker malt, especially with the resiny, piney, hops i think it, it helps kind of quiet that down a little bit but in general we're always open to to making the beer better like if it makes the beer better great we try and stick within the like parameters that we set out for a beer like you know this beer is idaho seven beer and it's a bursted beer so like we stay with that yeah but outside of that like changing the companion hops or what have you is important mm -hmm. mayberry is like that recipe doesn't really change right because we kind of found it now you know what yeah. i mean like once you once you've made it a hundred whatever times that we've made mayberry at this point what are we at i think we're almost at 200 batches of <laughs> nice <laughs> beautiful beer yeah i think a, a beer like this like it released at a certain period of time where like darker malts were you could do stuff like that and and that was a lot more prevalent whereas in 2020 it's like you might not hit people's preference as much when you have that. And also this yep. was sold in bombers, 22 ounce bombers, uh, when you guys yep. first put it out. So, yep. you know, we got the can now, we have uh, maybe a little bit of a, a lighter malt on it. And the 105, for anyone that doesn't know, that's the freeway leading into El Segundo, right? That's right, yep. As you're driving from Norwalk or whatever, all the way to the coast, it's like you're always driving at El Segundo. Yeah. So the it's, uh, geographically, it's an, an important landmark and it's, you know, it's one yep. of those names for a beer. You know, you don't just like, it, this is the 105, we brew it once and we never brew it again. Like there's kind of like some stain power because this is part of the identity of, you know, the brewery and, and the surrounding area. Yeah, we try, you know, that we call these our blue plate series, all of them that have this, you know, our classic kind of sundial, blue sundial. And we've got, a bunch of the legacy beers that'll come to we have we did clear and blurred already this year you'll see uh, grand hill is is going to be coming secco is going to come back which was our brute ipa that we're going to not call brute ipa anymore because yeah. <laughs> we like the recipe a lot i mean i really love brute ipas i think people are just afraid of them because they're called brute ipas i'm like it just means dry so right. we're just like, we're just gonna not call it a brood idea. That's anymore. cool to hear. Yeah, <laughs> super lean, super dry, and so yeah, you keep seeing those blue plates come back, and uh, we try and have those be something El Segundo specific. Hop tanker, two five left. You know, these are like these are landmarks associated with with El Segundo, which 
you know, Rob, Rob is three generations El Segundo. He's, you know, I, I, I joke with him. He's going to be mayor one day. And he's like, I don't want that job, basically. And I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're going to be mayor one day. Like, <laughs> everybody in town knows Rob and he knows the whole city council, which is, you know, obviously helpful. And, yeah. you know, he just, he just loves El Segundo, quite honestly. Like, he loves his town and, and the brewery. You know, when we were trying to figure out what to call the brewery, it was like, well, just of this place. It's like, it really is. Like, that's who we are. Just the name kind of stands alone, too. Like, even because people don't know what El Segundo is or what, that it's a place or where it is. You know, we, we used to struggle with going to downtown LA and people being like, where, it's like San Diego or something. I'm like, it's literally, it's like 11 miles from here. <laughs> <laughs> Just take that 105 down. Yeah, LAX, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, I think I'm ready to crack this beer open. So first thing I just want to remark on is the color. Just crystal fucking clear and right. just bright gold, really nice. And it's not light gold, it's not dark gold. It's like right there in the middle, just a, a perfect shade of gold. Really like that a lot. I'm gonna get rid of my virtual background so we can do this together. Yeah. <laughs> get rid of the illusion. Sorry guys, I'm just in my garage. Yeah, it's got a great color. It's all it's all two row, a little bit of dextra fills, and it looks like one percent of C fifteen. So there is a little bit of crystal of crystal malt in there. Just a bit, yeah. One percent. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful looking beer. Yeah, for sure. And then take me through the nose a little bit if you can get some there. The first the first thing that I get is is kind of that like berries, fruity pebbles kind of thing. And as, as I just opened, I, I put too much, uh, put too much beer in my glass. I gotta take a sip. I think the fruity, like the cereal, fruit cereal is a good one. Cause you do get like a little bit of that, like uh, cereal malt sweetness too. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that's something you, you want to be there for sure. Yeah. I lo love the smell of walking into the brewery when they're, when they're cooking wort. It's like, like, oh, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I get that it's like berries, like blueberries, raspberries kind of, kind of thing. Uh, as it warms up, it starts to get a little more tropical. I don't pull the pine and the resin as much off the aroma. I've gotten that more in the palate, but yeah. uh, as it warms up, you get a little bit more tropical, a little passion fruity kind of character, some general general citrus root, grape, like red grapefruit, grapefruit pith. Yeah, I'm definitely getting citrus here. Kind of omnipresent, I feel like, in Pacific Northwest hops. Right. Yeah, great, great nose really introduces you into what you're about to taste. Mine is a little warmer than I typically would drink this beer, just cause it's been sitting since we've been talking about it, but it, which makes it perfect for me to experience what's like, what it's really all about. Yeah, mine's a little cold cause I was just tasting it and I was like, man, this thing was way more, I mean, it's a little tight, which is just how it happens, you know? Always interesting to taste the beer. You taste them off a bright tank and they're like 29 degrees and you're sitting there warming them up in the glass. You're like, I think it's okay. Well, I think that's <laughs> my favorite thing about beer is what we were talking about earlier with like the day one thing, like tasting it day one versus day seven versus day 30 and 60. And also tasting it in different formats, bright tank, on draft, in the can, it's all different. And then obviously temperature plays a big part too. Uh, I'm indoors and the air conditioning, like obviously I think we, you, there changes your experience if you're like sitting outside in the sun or different things like that too. 
Yeah, sure, for sure. That's a very delicious beer. Super dry. The bitterness is what like is perfect on this. Like, like you said, it's not overly bitter because you don't have that 60 minute kettle edition. So, but it's not gone. You know, like there's like a, a nice bitter backbone there. Yeah, I think you know bitterness as a foil is important. I think it leaves you wanting for more of the beer. It yeah. brings you back when a beer is a little too heavy, a little too too cloying on the palate. And that's the number one thing for me with daisies. I is when I'm done drinking them, I'm like, I want them gone. And you know, I, I want, I crave that bitterness at the at, at the finality of the beer, and it's just not, it's just not there. It's a personal, personal thing, I think. But <laughs> too many so, West Coast IPAs, I guess. <laughs> what are you, what are you getting on the palate? Mostly, I get, I like the first thing is like pine and resin. Honestly, like the fruit, the fruit is there. It's a little, there's like a little like melon peachy melon kind of thing going on uh-huh. but but i think what dominates is, the, is like the pine the pine and resin which i i just i love that i think that's like the cool old school classic thing and it's it's what i expect when i get idaho seven as i sit with it we always talk about the hot burps they just burp so i made me think of it but we the burp, <laughs> the burp is like the final finish like there's like the finish and then there's the burp <laughs> But this is that, very technical stuff here. Everyone. <laughs> I'm so pissed. I love, you know, Alvarado Street has burr pops. I know you've oh, seen, yeah. you seen, their, seen their thing. And me and Rob are always like, man, we've been talking about hot burps forever. I was very jealous of that. I don't know if it fits our marketing exactly, but anyway, I love burr pops. <laughs> but yeah, I get, I get like a pervading kind of like blueberry muffin kind of like mid to late finish that just kind of hangs out which i think is very pleasant as well and and i think marries well with that that like pine and resin which isn't like beating you over the head with like tar but like certainly a big piece of the hop character yeah yeah it's definitely resiny little herbal i think i would say like there's a little kind of like herbaceousness to it for sure yeah i mean it's like thyme or a little green onion kind of thing going on which i think you know, people talk about onion being, onion garlic always being like a bad thing in hops. And I don't know that I 100% agree. Like I, I, it has to do with picking time, I think. And it's easy to find onion, you know, OG in hops, but I think it's also a part of just that like dankness character that everyone talks about, which it, you know, without it, it doesn't have that like huskiness that yeah. like it, it really, it makes it more impactful. I think is a little, a little bit of that OG character. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's all about balance. So, I mean, if all you had was OG, then it's like, no, yeah, those are it's not that great. But <laughs> if you combine it with the piney resinous, if you combine it with some of that berry tropicalness too, it it takes it from a, a very kind of like full palate experience where you get a little bit of the sweetness, you get a little bit of the bitterness. It's that tingly tongue thing yep. going on i mean that's there for me so it's kind of all over it gives you like a it gives you a little bit of everything so it's not just sharp in one direction i always liken it to perfumes when i talk about dankness perfumes are always based around something that is you know very ephemeral very like it, it maybe not that pleasant to begin with but when you put flowers and fruit and all this stuff on top of it that it's it's that piece that really drives everything forward and the whole palette experience really is is awesome so it's a i I love that analogy yeah that makes sense i never thought about it like that 7.1 percent here so very kind of like right there in the middle of 
where you want a West Coast IPA to be. For sure. Yeah, it's opening up for me now. Really good stuff. Is there a typical schedule that you release this beer at, or is it kind of change? I think it's usually been a fallish release, and usually this time is Grand Hill. I'm not, I don't actually recall what happened. I think we might have had a graphic file issue or something like that and so we flip-flopped when they when they came down so grand hill will be next and we kind of have a, a schedule sketched out obviously this year kind of everything oh yeah everything flew into the wind but uh, broken skull too i'm sure is like scrambling tank space everywhere and things like that oh yeah yeah broken skull is just a, it's just a hundred pound gorilla you know 800 pound gorilla just Total Plus, piece of Mayberry is everywhere, right? Like Mayberry's everywhere. Everyland's everywhere. Citra's everywhere, right? Yeah, like, those are like Whole Foods and places like that, right? Yes, and then uh, Broken Skull and Mayberry got approved for Von's Albertsons, mm. so we're still in the midst of what is usually the spring reset, but now it's 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 starting to happen more. So you'll see Broken. Skull and Mayberry at more and more Vons, Albertsons, Pavilions across Beautiful. the Southland, which is great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean it's they're they're everywhere. I don't I don't remember how many distribution points we've got at this point for those years, but there's there's a lot. And um, you're keeping up with Broken Skull, which is multi-state. Then you have Mayberry and some of these other brands that are all throughout California at this point? More or less, you know, it, at least the big population uh, yeah. zones, we've got we've got San pretty Diego, well, pretty well covered. San Diego, for sure. And then San Diego's always been very kind to us. I think in general, San Diego's, I don't know what word to use here about how San Diegans feel about Angelinos, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, they're, they're very hesitant to trust LA breweries, I think, but, you know, we came down there with some baller West Coast IPAs. We got placements at Tornado and Hamilton and stuff, and that really helped us uh, get into the scene down there. And, and I think we could, we got a lot of respect. So not as deep in San Diego, and San Diego's super local. I think just in general, like people drink from the brew pub down the street, and as mm -hmm. well they should. But yeah, you got we got coverage pretty much everywhere nowadays. Yeah. So for this beer and some of the other kind of like special release beers like Grand Hill and things like that, yep. uh, where can people find it? Obviously, they can buy this beer straight from you guys. Right. Yep, buy it uh, online on our store, and we're doing uh, direct delivery to your door for 12 or 24 cans now, so that's one way to get it, super easy. Silver lining of the pandemic, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and your best shot is generally the better bottle store, bottle shops around, uh, private bottle shops, but generally like Whole Foods, Total Wine, get it usually, Bebmo uh, usually as well nowadays. Like we're, we're getting it around, not the grocery stores uh, so much, they're not as quick on the the uptake. This run was big enough to get out to some of the, those places, the total wine and things like that. Yep, yep, they generally they generally are. We'll do, I think, Craft LA, I'll get about a thousand cases over like a four week period. And so we're getting, we're getting pretty good velocity on it and people want, are, are reaching for it. So we'll make as much as the, the market will demand and we can keep it fresh. But it's a weird, it's a weird time now. It's not like, you know, we used to put a lot of the rotational beers in the draft because there's always need and want. 
right. from the bars and restaurants that want the new thing. You know what I mean? They, they always want the new thing. You know, yeah, Mayberry's great, but what else do you got? And now that doesn't exist, but those consumers are still out there. They're still looking for- Oh, totally. Uh, variety, yeah. For, for variety. And so I think that's been- Well, I think helpful. what's interesting in that topic is that I was just so big on the variety thing and how consumers didn't really have loyalty. Like it was just kind of like, what's new? What's what's happening? No matter the brewery, you know, you had your favorites if you like something from them and you'd get it. But it was always like, what's new? What's not? And I feel like this pandemic has caused people like, I'm staying home. Like I'll experiment a little bit, but I'm, I want to, my go-to and especially as some of these breweries like you guys have been yeah. like, hey, you can get Mayberry sent straight to your house in a case. Like I'm not going to get three, a And it's three days old. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not going to experiment on a case of some beer that like I don't know if I've ever had before. Like I'm going to get a case of something that I know that I'm going to love from the first can to the last. So I think like, sure. it, you know, when I dig into like the marketing beer business side of my brain, I'm like, this is such a cool thing to be happening to kind of combat some of the like, you know, variation and, you know, the choice fatigue that people have had. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what the overall effect is. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of shakeout in general across the industry, which is certainly sad. And, you know, I think diversity may, may hurt a, a little bit because of it in general. But I mean, we were already starting to see that. Mayberry has seen growth every period of its existence, which is awesome. You know, like that, that's we've never seen a decline in Mayberry sales i think even with all the hazy stuff going on and everything people like yeah like if you go to the bar oh i'll try this one i'll try this one you get to that third beer and you're like you know what i just i just want a beer i know what i know like i know mayberry's gonna be great you know and we feel we already felt like that was happening and i i do agree with you i think people are you know less just less risk averse in general you know what i mean and, and they're like i don't want to end up with all this beer. well if i'm buying beer once a week or once a month Right. I have less chance of experimentation than I would if I'm going to anyway. like three bottle shops a week or something, you know, like on the way yeah. home from work or whatever. And that's, I think, always been part of that culture is you walk in and you talk to your bartender and you talk or you talk to the bottle shop manager that's there and they know what they're, they're like, oh, what should I try? What's new? What's cool? And they've got 10 answers for you as to what what and now that interaction is basically gone. Well, that's know? where we're trying to fill the void a little bit. You know? I think it's great, man. You know, I, I love what you guys are doing. You got you guys have been killing it for sure. I, mean, I did that Zoom thing for a while, and I hope you know keep giving people some sort of outlet to learn about the beers. And so appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one thing I wanted to ask you about this beer, and this may not be an easy answer, or may not have an answer, but like we're talking about like some of these beers that are in your rotation year round, and you have yep. something like the 105. How does it stand against, like if you're, if El Segundo is the IPA brewery, which I kind of like to say from time to time, or I used to say. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So how does 105 compare to like Mayberry? Like if we're going single IPA to single IPA, is there a way to say like, if you like this, you'll like this or? I think this beer is probably one of the more similar beers to Mayberry, like hot profile wise. Yeah. Red, red, resin and blueberry and tropical are all things that I talk about when I talk about Mayberry for sure. Yeah. Um, Mayberry's not bursted and it's definitely more bitter uh, and astringent than, than the 105. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just more classic old school West West Coast. Yeah, I mean, I think hop variety has a lot to do with it. You know, Idaho 7 is, I don't know its genealogy, but like from a flavor standpoint, it definitely is a cousin to Mosaic, where Citra, I think, is a big departure from Mosaic. It's not nearly as dark and resinous and berry. It's much more citrus and tropical or catty and like really bright, high top notes. And so I think that there's a couple of categories that way. We also have the like ultra lean stuff that we do that like no comply and clear af that are heavily pilsner malted so it's like yeah this is dry and lean but like <laughs> you just take it up a whole nother notch when you do up like clear af is actually 100 percent pilsner malt so it's just like there's like no no body or color to that beer whatsoever yeah that's cool and, beer it's a cool beer but you can't you couldn't hop it with idaho 7 or mosaic like it would it would just be like it would just be scratchy and like i think there is some mosaic but like it's a much more fruit forward cocktail of hops. And so there's there's that side of the IPA game that, that we play as well. And you know, then there's the hop tankers of the world where we're just like beating you over the head with bitterness and Nelson and just like huge, massive dank, like really big dankness. And I don't know, I, was, I always found Nelson super catty personally, not my favorite hop out there. Now we can't get it anymore. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's pretty much impossible. I mean, unless you have like personal relationships and have been like flying down to New Zealand to figure out how to get some Nelson. I don't understand what those guys are doing. Like, yeah. Just play Nelson, man. The whole world wants it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that I do like Hop Tank, right? We just got through with a run of it. And I, I think our hops were already like 18 months old, something like that. I oh, wow. I haven't had um, that since the early days, so I'll have to give that a try. It's gone now. I think I might have a I might have a three month old turd in the back of my fridge. Oh, okay. but I wouldn't give that to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to just you have to settle for serpent bird right now. Yeah, that's uh, it's in the fridge. That's next up. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, one thing before we close it out. One one beer that I've been talking about a lot, and I don't think it's around anymore. Though it might be like available in some of like the mix pack things on your on your site is blurred lines. I yep. that beer I've had it before when you guys did it in previous uh, years. But yep. this year in my 2020 palette has been the best beer I've had this year. Appreciate that. That's yeah. a great beer. I mean, cause I'm in that mode of transitioning out of hazy, like got that hazy fatigue. So I'm kind of like, oh, those big, thick, really sweet hazies I'm not really into, but I still like it when it's balanced really well. And that beer is just like the perfect balance on mouthfeel on awesome. bitterness, on fruitiness. It's just really, really cool. And so I talk I mean, about that, that a lot. That's what we were shooting for, for sure. It, it, we've been releasing it as a companion to Clear AF because we think it's hilarious, mostly. Um, yeah. But uh, I have a funny story, actually. So like the Hop Bus, what's uh, Hal and Cindy? LA Beer Hop. LA Beer Hop had, did a virtual festival or tasting or something like that a couple months ago. Uh -huh. And they asked me to come on and talk about IPA. I said, yeah, sure. And they said, okay, we're gonna do a West Coast and we're gonna do a, a hazy. I said, okay, great, I'll bring something, no problem. And they gave everybody a shopping list. You had to go and buy your beer. And so I said, perfect, I have Clear AF, I have Blurred Lines. So I'll do Blurred as my like hazy and then uh, I have a West Coast. And Hal brought Blurred for his like West Coast version. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a good laugh about it. And I was like, well, I think that highlights El Segundo's stance on the hazy, the whole hazy question. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Perfectly>. <laughs> 
but it is it's that it's that like you know there's a lot of things about hazies that bother me one of them being like the yeast the yeast characteristic often gets in the way of highlighting the hops which has really been always been our focus like we're gonna like strip this beer down as much as possible to really highlight the flavor and aromatics of the hops that's what we're there for the bitterness is the foil that's not the goal it's just there as the the balance of the sweetness and then it's all about flavor and aromatics which i get hazies are there are doing that as well but like i i often find that the esters get in the way or quite honestly i've got you know, you get like hydrogen sulfide and like the, that, those kind of characters that really just detract. And so we we wanted to brew a hazy using 001. And so Blurred Lines is 01, like California ale yeast, the same yeast yeah. for all our beers. It's a malt bill of, of more of a, a hazy style. So you got oats and like heavy on oats and wheat and a lot of body. And I think it's first, I don't think there's any 60 minute addition. I think we actually don't add hops until we actually cool the whirlpool down. Not a hundred percent on that, but bitterness is way retracted from like other stuff we do, and the finishing gravity, which is like how much sugar is left in the beer at the end, is quite a deal higher than most of our West Coast, other West Coast examples. Yeah. And I, I think it's great. We call it the hybrid IPA because it's like somewhere in between. It's a little bit hazy. Sometimes it's not that hazy, but it still has that feel of kind of more body and much softer bitterness. So, yeah, I, I like it a lot, and I I like the concept of the hybrid IPA style because yeah. I try a lot of beers, whether they be West Coast, but more likely whether they're hazy beers from another brewery that they didn't intend to brew a hybrid IPA. It's labeled hazy, but it's like, but this tastes way more hybrid and I like it. But if I was ordering a hazy IPA expecting this, I wouldn't expect it. So I'm, yeah. I could go on for a long time talking about like the style labels of IPA, but I just, it's I utilize blurred lines like all the time is like this beer, like really straddles the line in a way that like makes you want to have another one, which I think is big for me because usually it's like, okay, got that. Goodbye. And blurred lines, it's like, oh, well, usually I'm like, I'll take a can and I'll give away a few cans or whatever. And I'm like, I'll take all these cans. <laughs> <laughs> uh well glad to be the inspiration there that's great yeah absolutely <laughs> hopefully that beer keeps coming back it'll keep coming back for sure that'll be part of this series i think it's on the docket for early next year again is the plan at the moment so yeah and maybe this conversation inspires it to move up who knows <laughs> <laughs> we'll see everyone keeps bothering us for more like hazy-ish options so maybe it'll go full-time we'll i think it's one of those things that it's like you know, there is an audience for it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna be printing cans on it hopefully next year. That's the Oh cool. That's the that's the hope. There's some supply issues at the moment on cans. I don't know how much you've heard yeah. about that. It's yeah. uh, it's a real thing. So Yeah, no, totally. It's gonna be an interesting year for sure on that. Yeah, a lot more beer going into cans than ever before. So Yeah crazy cool man well that's 105 if you guys want to get your hands on it which yes you should if you, you like should West coast ipas if you like el segundo you're gonna like this beer look out for it at your local bottle shop look out for it at your local beer retailer but honestly i think the best place to go to get this beer is straight to el segundo like either drive there you yeah. know take a short jog if you're in the area Pick up some beer from El Segundo. The Slice and Pint also is open for business. Pick up you can some get pizza, pizza and beer all, all in one shot. It's worth the drive, and there's no traffic. 
it's a beautiful thing. Like you can get around <laughs> LA so quickly. Uh, but if you're not into getting in your car, El Segundo is shipping beers to your home throughout California, right? That's right. Yep. Direct to your door overnight. Yeah. So it doesn't get much better than that. If, if you asked yourself three years ago, could you get direct to your door shipping overnight from El Segundo? You know, that's a difficult thing to do. Today, you can do it. So pick up the 105. It's a great beer, but really any El Segundo beers. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. It's been enlightening. It's been delicious. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. This, is, uh, this has been great. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. Talk to you later. Cheers.